You don't know everything about me. I've lived a lot of lives. Before I was an Avenger. Before I got this family. I made mistakes. Choosing between what the world wants you to be. And who you are. After delays due to the pandemic, Black Widow, the anticipated first film in phase four of the MCU, arrived simultaneously in theaters and on Disney Plus with premiere access on July 9th. In the movie, which is set after Captain America Civil War, Scarlett Johansson reprises her role as Black Widow, and she's joined by a cast including Florence Pugh and Rachel Wise. To talk about the production and working with Marvel, in this episode we're joined by cinematographer Gabriel Beristain. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. One thing's for sure. I'm done running from my past. Gabriel, thanks for joining us. And congratulations on the movie, which of course comes out tomorrow. Great. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So you are no stranger to the MCU. Uh, You've already worked on numerous films, including Thor, The Avengers. Would you tell us a bit about your background and just how you came to Marvel? Yes, indeed. Um, I mean, I'm fundamentally, I'm a Mexican national. I was born in Mexico. But, but but contrary to all the wonderful, talented pool that came from Mexico, I emigrated to Europe in the very early stage. So I'm, I'm very Mexican, and although now I'm an American national. I'm very much there. My mom still lives in Mexico. But I'm not part of this incredible pool of very talented Mexicans who came to um, America from, from with... Chivo, Cuarón, uh, Iñárruti, Memo del Toro, uh, Navarro, all those wonderful, wonderful cinematographers. I came from Europe. I came from the British tradition of filmmaking. So uh, I came here. However, my first film was Blood In, Blood Out, which was a very, very interesting film about the Mexican-American community in America, uh, directed by Taylor Hackford. And then I stayed in America. I stay here, I married here, I made my life. I thought I was going to do all my life in Britain because I lived there for 15, 16 years of my life. 
But no, when I came here to America, I stay gradually, work started piling up and I stay here. So even though I'm a British Society of Cinematographer, an American Society of Cinematographer, and a Mexican Society of Cinematographers. And then I started working in different films. I always jokingly I always say that I didn't come with a director, I didn't come with a group, I didn't come with I came on my own. So I'm the kind of director of photography that you can find me outside Home Depot, so to speak. I I I, I do everything. I'm trained by the British in a way that I can do. I comedy and I was very aware and always with a with a vision, always with a with an artistic vision behind comedy, behind drama, behind uh, I shot films like a Caravaggio that is a very dramatic, very artistic artistic piece for David uh, Derek Jarman. The film was shot in 1980 something and yet it's still alive and it's seen everywhere. And uh, so I, I, I'm come from that tradition. So when I draw, I dove into Marvel. I did it in a film that was not for Marvel Studios, but it was a Marvel film that was Blade, Blade Two, and then Blade Three. So that was my introduction to to, to film. But uh, my really, uh, I came to Marvel because I did a film called Swat. And the producer was a new young producer called Luda Esposito. It was his first film. He had come from the assistant director tradition. And then he became the producer in SWAT. And we became very good friends in SWAT because that was a very tough, very wonderful, very emotional film with a lot of new artistic and, te and technical new uh, techniques were applied. And, and, and Lou and I were really taking big chances and big risks with that film. So we became very good friends. So when, when Lou became Marvel and when they went for um, Iron Man, obviously he proposed me as a DP for the first Iron Man. The director, he had his ideas and the director, uh, John Favreau, had a wonderful, wonderful cinematographer, Matthew Labatique, to do... Um, uh, Iron Man one, so I could I didn't get it obviously, and, and 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 Matthew and John did a phenomenal work, but what Marvel discovered there, in the first film that they did as a studio, is that they needed to check with the audiences whether that film was the right film for them, that even John had the most fantastic vision, and uh, they wanted to find out beforehand if it was all right. And then they discovered that some members of the audience said, okay, Iron Man is wonderful, but he's, he's, he's just a piece of armor. He is not a human. He's a great superhero, but he's not that human. We need to feel it a bit more. And, and, and not only when he is basically Tony Stark, but when he is Iron Man. And they started discovering a lot of very interesting, subtle elements. So they said, well, we must need, we need to, to do additional photography, not reshoots, because people believe the, no, the wrong notion that we are doing reshoots. No, 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 we are doing additional photography. We are increasing that value, making sure that the, uh, the characters appeal very much to their audience and to the, the understanding of what I call the, 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 the collective dream, the collective dream of, of, of our audiences. 
So in that respect, Caroline, we have a film. We, we, they started discovering that, so they called me. Lou called me and said, Gabby, can you help us to do uh, those reshoots, those uh, additional photography, those rediscovery of the characters, the story, and also help visual effects. So in that way, I came to that universe. Obviously, then when I did uh, Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 and Thor, very soon I was the Marvel guy even though I was never intended to be the Marvel guy. So directors were very, um, every time that I was proposed to do a big Marvel film, directors were very, oh, catchy about it. I, I, we don't know whether we want Gabby. He is brilliant, he's great, but he might be the Marvel guy. So uh, in that respect, Black Widow for me is not only, uh, not only a great experience that we're gonna talk about it, but it was my first full film. So I'm very proud about it, incredibly proud. Now, uh, how did you meet Kate Shortland, the director, and come on to this particular film? Well, I basically, basically, they, was, they called me. Uh, they, they already were in pre-production, and they had a series of situations in which they needed to have a, a person to go there when they were already very much in the film the film has already been starting. I was not there from the beginning. It was not my film that I started going to every location. But there were situations that I'm not aware of what happened. One day, Lou called me and said, Gabby, we need you in uh, London right now. Are you available? By that time, I was going to be doing a beautiful television show, um, one of classic one, one of the great television shows. And, and then I have to tell the producers, you know something, I'm really, I'm, I'm in fact, no, I was going to be directing some television shows. And then I have to tell the, 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 the producer and also my agency at the time, CAA, that they were representing me as a director. I said, sorry, I have to go and shoot a film. They were very upset with me because they said, uh, you know, you said that you were going to direct now television. I said, yes, but I cannot say no to Marvel. And I, this is a dream for me. It's something that I've been always looking to do at my own big Marvel film. So I went there, and then when I arrived, Kate and I, we just looked at each other, and he, she, she said, okay, and are you going to be the Marvel guy? I said, Kate, I am a person that knows what a director needs, and I have always given myself to the director. I am a director on my own right, but I do direct with my camera. As David Mamet said to me once, Gabby, your camera is a character within the film. It's not just a technical device to record what I do. No, no, you are there inside with me. And when I did that film with David Mamet, Spanish Prisoner, I, 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 I took that one to explain because I knew it. I had done that naturally, but I used that as a way to tell the, 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 the directors, you, I'm there with you. I'm telling you same story, but I'm using visuals. I'm using my camera. I'm using my lighting to tell your story. I'm not telling my own story. I cannot do it. I cannot make it my own film. I, I, if I want to make my film, I go and direct. But now I'm here with you. So Kate was looking at me and said, okay, but, but you're arriving late because whatever the reasons were. And, uh, and, but the, from the first moment, I arrived on Sunday, Saturday I was, Monday I was shooting. And the relation from that moment, uh, which started a bit strange, became very, very close. We, we, I, I always, always said that I was there with her, that I was the Han of the Queen. And then I was always helping in, and, and, and Kate and I had a fantastic relationship. 
and uh, uh, she was very much making a beautiful film. We have two tents that we separate because the, at the beginning we were together in one tent, and then every technical, every person that came to ask me technical questions, they, they said, "Stop it, Gabby, get out of here." So I had to go out with my with the people to answer all this incredible amount, phenomenal amount of technical questions. And and then I went, I, I created my own, we created my own tent besides or close to Kate. And Kate will always be calling me to 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 be with her in certain moments, but but all the kind of stuff that it was happening around it. So she can she could concentrate on what was important. Uh, uh, and that, I think this film in that respect is very special. The performance here is absolutely sensational because Kate was very much into it. And obviously she was into everything. She, 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 she was really taking uh, control of, the, the, of all these lords of the manor. That's why I called myself the Han of the Queen. And that, that for me, that was my, my, greatest, uh, my greatest achievement in the film, that I think I, I, I accomplished that vision that she had, and I gave her what she wanted in her soul, in her mind, in her heart. I did it with Amishes. Now, this movie does have a distinctly different look and feel to other Marvel films. Would you describe creatively what you wanted to achieve? Well, I always believe, Carolyn, I always believe that sometimes we have lost the idea that where Marvel comes from. We believe that this is, we call it temples, we, we call it massive productions, we call it tens of terms. But, you know, we got to remember that we come from the very strong tradition of the Marvel comics. And if we go back to the comics and to the graphic novels, we find that those people, the Stan Lees, the, 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 the Sterenkos, the Digbys, they were artists. And then every single thing was done with an artist's eye and look. It was not like they were doing, doing, as you say, a comic book. It was not like just a simple piece. No, everything was composition and it was color. And it had, and, and, the, and, and, and the dialogue was really good. And they had to be, so every, each comic book, if you notice, is a, a wonderful piece of art. And we've forgotten that. And then we, when we talk about, when I talk to, you give interviews and I talk about my work in Marvel, what I do, I say, I do one of the most wonderful artistic pieces, nearly at the level of my Caravaggio and my British films, where I used to work with the intelligentsia of Britain. Here I also doing something even more precious, which is art, an artistic view. So when uh, Kate and I talk about it, we were in a great agreement about it. No, 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 we are not going to, we're not doing a, a, a technical extravaganza here. So that's the reason why, yes, you see, uh, you see MCU, the Marvel Universe is fantastic, it's there, every bit is there, because we have all this phenomenal backup. I mean, we have Industrial Light and Magic, and, uh, and Jeff Bauman, our visual effects supervisor, is a phenomenal, phenomenal man in terms of vision. And then our stunts are fantastic because Rob Inch, our stunt coordinator, this crazy Welshman, is phenomenal. Is you know I mean, and the stunt people that 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 they brought for for the film are acrobats, are fighters that you will not believe the agility and the passion that they put in every movement. 
The rigs are incredible. And then you had Charlie Wood, our production designer, who knows Marvel Universe, but he himself is a big, is a wonderful British artist. You talk to him, and he's a gentle, beautiful, wonderful character that you can see that his mind is always working towards producing something very beautiful and artistic, right? So that was for us the vision that said, we are, we have already those elements. Yeah, that's fine. We don't have to worry about it. Now, what is going to happen when we have these two phenomenal actresses, Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh, and we, and we are there going to be sitting down there and we're going to be talking to them and we are going to see them talking each to each other and now the film is going to start speaking more towards the soul of the audience and the characters. And that is what, what the vision that we had. So we, we were very much trying to work very strongly on the elements that they were not the extravaganza. We knew that the extravaganza was going to be okay, that the spectacle was going to be okay, that the wonderful elements, the very expensive, they were going to be okay. We are protected there. Let's just, let's just, uh, let's just uh, have what we need to have in the intimate moments, in the dramatic moments, when there are not any, any, any big, I don't want to use the word gimmick, but when you don't have any of those gigantic, expensive props, when you have just acting, pure, raw, strong acting, they have to be right. And that's what Kate and I were working very hard on. Today I was reading the, the report from the BBC and then you hear that there are people, they love it, they love the film, but then they are re reporting some of the podcasts in Europe and in England particularly, and some of them said, you know, they should not be uh, um, attacking and they should not be get, diving into all these important issues, like, for instance, exploitation of the women, uh, women exploitation or the way that children have been exploited, all these kind of things. I mean, I, I, we have very specifics in this film, but I believe that, no, I think this is exactly what I'm talking about. The most important thing is that Marvel films have got a scope. They reach so many people in the world. The poor podcast of that lady that attack us because we are getting into issues that we should not be getting, as she said, because it's not the right platform to get into those issues. What are you talking about? We have the reach. We are going to get. It's going to be like in the old days that we used to go to the cinema and then come out to the coffee shop, to the wine bar and discuss and fight against each other and say, you realize that is the situation and that is what happened. We are filmmaking is about the collective dream and the collective reality. And we need to celebrate that. And if we have a platform that has got this extraordinary reach, um, let's celebrate it and let's use it even more. To, to go and to dive into those issues which we need to be discussing in our society constantly, constantly. And I'm glad that Black Widow is setting that trend. So now we're talking about something that is important in society within the extravaganza and within the spectacle and within the performance because now we have two wonderful performers, three, four, five, really, because they were uh, David and, and Rachel and all of them, they were extreme, and Ray. I mean, all of them, they were extraordinary actors. They are extraordinary actors. And we have a fantastic director, that is Kate, and we have a phenomenal platform that reaches millions, 
great, let's talk about those issues, for God's sake. Please, let's do it. And if I'm there to also illustrate that with my camera work, I'm so honored and pleased to do it. And I'm glad that we are doing it. At some point, we all have to choose between what the world wants you to be and who you are. I made my choice. I'm done running. What was it like working with uh, Scarlett and with Florence in those intimate moments, those quieter moments? They're fantastic. That was really amazing because they they were. See, what I use a lot of three cameras. I use three cameras because because what we do is uh, I explain to people. I said when you watch a, a, a Kurosawa film, an Akira Kurosawa film, you see that suddenly he does a dramatic moment and he puts the camera here, three quarters back. And you say, why he does that? Why is he not here? Well, because his choice is to put the camera there. So he wants to be a member of the audience that is looking at that dramatic scene from the, from the back of the character. And he's really feeling what that character feels, imagine it, what it is. So he, he appeals to the imagination of the audience. Here in America, the studios don't let us do that. The studios want us to be here. We want to see the eyes and they want to see the, the close-up, right? So when I use three cameras, I use three cameras because I said, let me give you a third camera that is going to give you those angles that A, we don't have time to do, that B, the studio is not going to let us do, that we need to, that we don't, we don't, we cannot do it, and yet we want to have. Those angles that could be really, really powerful, right? And uh, and with Kate got that one, and she got it very quickly. She enjoyed that, right? So at the beginning with the Scarlet and with Florence, that was very. We didn't want to be too much too intrusive with the three cameras. We wanted to be very gentle, and Scarlet would say, "Yeah, let's work with the two cameras." But when we understood the value of the third camera, and I was very clear and it was very discreet with that three cameras, we had all these phenomenal performances that they were unique because we're covering everything. It was not like we are going to go one close up and then we're going to go back to the close up. Here, it was like these moments of improvisation. Of, uh, of, of, of emotional moments in which they react to each other, the silence. The moments in which it's quiet because the other person is not talking is really, really phenomenal because then you have it and we have the cover from every possible angle. So that makes also, you when you see those scenes at the film, I mean, they, you see that they have a tremendous soul. I mean, you saw them. Tremendous value, a tremendous soul. Basically the soul. Because the, the camera, the camera was, was beyond the audience. The camera was there with them. It was not sitting there miles away. No, no, it was very close to them. Now, in addition to uh, shooting on stage, you did a lot of location work, including you were in Norway, you were in Budapest, you were in Morocco. Tell us about shooting in all these various locations. Well, we to 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 the credit of that, I, the whole structure of that, we have a we have a phenomenal second unit, and uh, I, I, for instance, was not in Morocco. 
Uh, Kate went, and it was very, very, I mean, just basically there. But our second unit, everything in this film was, and the good thing about this film was coordination. Everyone knew exactly what we were trying to achieve. I had always my big array of monitors checking what unit was doing what. So uh, the storyboards that we had, yes, it, it was great to move from location to location, but we have the army. We, we, we have the big armies and the commanders were always in control of everything. And, and that's the most important thing. Nothing that happened in that film was uh, uh, oblivious to anyone, to Kate or I. Uh, we were very, very aware of everything that each one of the units were doing. Let's, let's just give you an example. The last scene, uh, uh, which is very, and again, I cannot talk too much about it, but, but the characters go through different sources of light. They, they pass from, from shadow to clouds to smoke to fire, to things. So, and, and it's been shot by so many different units. The wind tunnel unit, the robot arm unit, the stone unit, the second unit, the, our unit. And obviously every hand had to be coordinated. Everyone knew that in that particular frame, Scarlet was gonna be passing from a cloud of smoke into a bright sunlight and that the lighting should really work and match that. So just to give you an example of the level of detail and coordination that we had on that. So everyone had to be very, very clear. So, so it, it was like a, we have a command center. And even if we were not there, we were there. We were always there. Yeah, no, I would have liked to have the time to go and see Morocco myself and do the Morocco thing. But, but Carlos, Carlos, the cinematographer who did, uh, uh, who did the second unit for us, he was, there was nothing that they would do that, that was not checked, consulted, discussed, analyzed with, with Kate and with me. So we always were absolutely in control. Not in control, it's not the word that I'm looking for, but we were very aware of everything that this incredibly structure was doing, in watching this incredible army of the Marvel Universe that they are used to have it. But they are used to have a situation in which they know that they can send one unit to do whatever. No, no, in this case, and that's why this film looks so different and intimate, is because everything there it was in, in total coordination. So we treated the film like we were treating one of Kate's low-budget Australian intimate films. We, we were there. Whether we there were there physically or not, we were there. And we constantly, Kate and I, will visit the second unit, not to supervise them, not to, be, not, to, not to check on them, not to spy on them. We just wanted to make sure that everyone knew that we and Kate wanted to be there to understand that everyone was making the same film, her film. And that's the reason why the film has got these very intimate moments. Yeah. Would you describe one of your favorite scenes to shoot? Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, that's... that's, that's <laughs> Well, let me just try it without giving a spoiler. Oh my God, this is a tough, tough question. <laughs> and, uh, well, but let me just tell you. I mean, obviously, I have to divide it into two because because if I said to you, okay, one of my favorite scenes was there is a scene that we shot in the little uh, 
convenience store in a, in a petrol station, in a gas station in Budapest. And the space was ridiculously small. I mean, it's literally was the, you enter to pay the cashier for the gas, and then they have a tiny bit of a uh, uh, switch and, 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 and something to say, and they have a little back room. And that back room has a door that goes to a cafeteria. But basically, the space is tiny, tiny. And we have a lot of those tiny moments. Can you imagine? We were there with my big Venice cameras with Panavision lenses and all that, with all the whole Marvel Universe structure. And we have that scene. Then we have another scene in, in the kitchen of um, Rachel Weisz when they go to the farmhouse, which was a tiny, tiny room. I'm talking about uh, four, I mean, six by six by four, tiny rooms, right? And then what happened is we, we, we but, but Kate was very keen on trying to find that emotion there that they were, and I, you know, and I was brave enough to squeeze as many cameras as I, I could. But that particular scene with which Florence is so hilarious and Florence and, uh, and, 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 and Scarlett really interact in the most hilarious ways. It was one of my favorite scenes, and you see it. I mean, the audience absolutely adores when the two sisters are bickering one each other, and Florence is so funny. And you know that that was because it was here, but at the same time, they were. you have to see the physicality. It was very important for the performance on Florence to see the full body. And whenever you see the film, the audience, you see what I'm talking about in that little convenience, convenience place in the, in the gas station in Budapest. You need to see the full expression of Florence to get it and to see how funny and, 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 and poignant the whole scene is. I love to shoot that because it was a big challenge. As I said, the biggest extravaganza, you know, I, I, it's great. You know, I mean, yes, the final fight between Olga Kurilenko, or, or, or Olga Kurilenko and, uh, and, and, and Scarlett, phenomenal, because I showed it in three different places, four different places. You know, as a technical achievement, I would say, oh, yes, technically it's great because I managed to match the light in England, in that field in Oxford, uh, in the Disney Ranch in Los Angeles, in a studio in Disney and MB, because I did it in three different places. And I think, well, yeah, in three different places. So all that big fight in that exterior, I have to do a light study. I have to know where the light was coming from. I have to more or less basically have very strong notes on how in that moment of the fight, the light should be hitting them so that whenever I do that in Disney Ranch, what's going to make sense you know, because we had to do additionals in Disney. And then when we did it in the studio, I had to light for daylight inside the studio and make sure that, uh, that the, blue, the green screens were... So there were fantastic technical achievements. And yes, I know I'm very proud of that. Was that, was that my favorite? No, because I don't that. It's, 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 you do it. I mean, I, it's a light study. That's what we do for a living. I light a study. I make my notes. I place the characters. I light the green screen. I try to match the lighting. Boom. But when you have two actresses with phenomenal performance that you are, you are surprising yourself every minute of what they are doing, that's phenomenal. Because in that moment, you've been surprised. In the bigger, in the bigger, fantastic setup scene, you know every movement. 
You know, everything, everything has been already been discussed, prepared, you've seen the previous, you've seen everything. All you're doing is just basically giving it up. But when you are going to be surprised as an audience and your cameras are going to have to be there and you have to be the flexibility, the camera just gets there. To me, that was, to me, is a phenomenal. If you ask me, those moments between Florence and Scarlett, to me, they were glorious and, uh, and beautiful. Now, I know this film is also being released in IMAX with um, parts of the movie will be in a different aspect ratio. When you were shooting, did you have that in mind? And how, how did you uh, navigate that? Yeah, we, we, we use, we use uh, different lenses, naturally. We use different lenses, so this sequence is going to be an IMAX sequence, and then everything is going to be calibrated and matched uh, uh, again. We, we obviously have to respect the aspect ratios, but there are different textures. So we have to make sure that the visual effects knew that when we were going to go to IMAX, still the spirit of the anamorphic was going to be respected. Kate was very keen on that anamorphic vintage look. And I was very keen on keeping my two times. I mean, basically, with the sequence that we shot at the beginning in America, which in the film is Ohio, but we really shot them in Atlanta. I wanted to make sure that they have this look that there was absolutely in the period. So it was like a double situation. You have a look, a general look for the film, an evolving look for the film from the past to the evolution into the present to the uh, or the or the, 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 the film present, obviously, because we are never in the present, present, we're in the film present that was done. The, so we have that evolution and I wanted to keep that evolution. And at the same time, we have to have very, uh, be very aware of what lenses we were using in order to protect the, the, the composition and in order to protect everything that, that, that uh, used the change of technology, not technology, the change of the lenses were going to give us. So the movie was obviously delayed because of the pandemic. How do you feel having uh, it finally coming out in theaters? We did a color timing, the final color timing. Caroline, we did it on uh, uh, during the pandemic. And it was an extraordinary experience because we were in the room, Kate, the producer, Brian, uh, Matt or Lee, one of the editors, and myself. There were only four people allowed in the room. We were social distancing, we had the masks, and we were giving the information, we were in an in a animation projection room at Disney. Jill Bogdanovich, our phenomenal colorist, that I've been working with her for many, many other films, but Jill was in the studios at a Company Tree in Hollywood, and we were like a, talking to her directly, but distance, you know I mean? And, and we were seeing on that screen everything that she was doing on her console, the resolve, and again, we could talk about a lot about the technology of color correction. Yes, she was using a, a Da Vinci co a, a, a resolve uh, a program, which is very standard in our industry now, and she's very, very good at that. And, and she was getting all the information from uh, Kate and from me, and we could see exactly the way that she was working there. But the most interesting thing there, Karin, when we finished the color timing after a few days going there in this technique and working very close with the precision of Kate and the, the fantastic skills of Jill and the shorthand language that Jill and I have, because we have a phenomenal shorthand language having worked in so many films together, 
When we did all that and we were celebrating how beautiful the, lo- the film looked and how happy we were to have achieved that in the middle of the pandemic, uh, Kevin Feige came out to, to, from the room, said, thank you, that's beautiful. And Kevin said to us, we are delaying the release of this film because if we don't, rele- we don't delay it, because if we don't release it on the big screen, that will be the end of film. And he was very true about it. So when I saw it yesterday on the big screen again, I was celebrating and I was saying, Kevin, thank you. Thank you for having hold it. And thank you for coming back now that we are in the big, big experience of film, film on a film cinema, on a cinema uh, with audience looking at it and celebrating. And you feel the energy of the audience reacting to everything that is happening on the screen. Well, I've also enjoyed getting back into a theater and seeing these movies on a big screen with an audience. And uh, what are your thoughts going forward about the film business? What do you see as uh, the next step? Well, I believe that what the, the, the experience of going to the cinema is something that is still not going to end because the new generations love to go out. The new generations, I mean, I have a 19-year-old boy and a 16-year-old girl my, my, my son and my daughter. And, you know, they, they love to go out. They love the experience of enjoying of the, the, the community, the, 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 to feel what I call the collective dream together. So I don't believe that, that the film experience is going to end. The going to the cinema experience is going to end. The, the, uh, I believe that that is going to be that's going to be fantastic, and uh, and obviously you know the experience of seeing the the the, the incredible array of programs that you can see now on television will continue. The fact that you can make bigger television in your living room uh, is amazing. I think that people are going to have that, but everyone is always going to be longing for that that going out to the cinema. In Europe, they they love it. In Latin America, they love going out to the cinema. Even though sometimes it's a risky situation, whatever, they love to go out. They, They enjoy that experience. So my dream is that they will continue going to the cinema. Thank you so much for joining me for our spoiler-free podcast. Oh, how difficult it was not to give any spoilers. 